Well, it's good to see you all. Are you ready for some of the Word? We need to share the Word with you. The last six messages, I think I've done five, JD's done one. I've been sharing about knowing God, knowing God, knowing God, knowing God, while knowing God intimately. And if you just cast your mind back, one of the things that I spoke about, knowing God, the word knowing comes from a Greek word, gnosis, a Hebrew word, yada, and it just means knowing, knowledge, or to get to know whatever. But when it's put with certain scriptures, we begin to see that God wants us to know him intimately. So for example, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she gave birth to a son Seth. And so it's to know a person relationally and experientially. So it's just not knowledge of a person, it's to be acquainted and in a situation or the circumstances with God as far as it relates to him, we need to know him intimately. Is that okay? And so, you know, it's not just knowing of. It's not just knowing about. It means knowing him. It's one of the things that will transform your life because then you don't need to live your Christian life by a set of rules because you will know what he likes and what he doesn't like. You'll know what he approves and you'll know what he disapproves. We need to have a kind of relationship with him that we can just feel in ourselves that, you know, this thing that I'm about to do, it seems as if there is an apprehension or a resistance by the Holy Spirit. There's a squeeze in my heart or there's a feeling in my gut that I'm not to proceed with this. So we need to know God, and we need to know Him intimately. But I want to just press on. I don't want to take too much time with the introductions. But I want to just tell you something. And this is a big secret, okay? Please don't tell anybody else. Okay. Are you all ready? There's something greater than knowing God. And I want to talk about that this morning. Something greater than knowing about God. I don't know if any of you are aware of... C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, and I think particularly the book Dawn Treader. Of course, there's Aslan. Aslan is the lion, and he represents Jesus. And uh, there's two young people. There's several young people, and one is Edmund, and the other is Eustace, and then there's a young lady. But there was a situation, and there was a conversation going on, and Eustace says something to Edmund. He says this, because... Edmund was talking about, he reflects a Christian, you know. And he says, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? This is Eustace asking Edmund. And Edmund answers, and he said, well, he knows me. There's one thing greater than knowing God, and it is that God knows me. In all our pursuit of God, in our like, getting to know God, we need to get to the place where, you know, it can be said of us, God knows us. So now I want to just talk about that a little bit. J.R. Packer, a great Christian writer, says this, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that He knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care for me falters. Something greater than knowing God. God knows me. Now this week, I was away just taking a bit of a break, and uh, just while driving around, I was just meditating. And you know, the Holy Spirit is so faithful. <laughs> it was like when I was talking, doing that series about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, which results in favor. And I remember that week, I was talking to the Lord, and I said to the Lord, you know, I think I've kind of finished the series, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, no, you haven't. And I said, how so, Lord? You know, what more? He said, you've not spoken about 
the anointing with the oil of joy, which comes after favor. And so this week I said, Lord, I've done six messages. I've done five. JD's done one message on knowing you. There's not much more that I can preach about. And suddenly the scripture came. Where Paul says, we'll look at it now. He says to the Galatian Christians, and he said, you know, why are you going back to the weak beggarly principles of the law? Because you know me, or rather, you're known of God. And that scripture came, and, and this whole message this week came about very much by just driving around Kruger, hunting for animals that were not there. <laughs> Couldn't find them. They just did not exist, you know. But we pursued them, but we did not find them. Okay, and the message developed. And so there's a thing that I just want to share with you about knowing God. So number one, you are known of God. Is that okay? You are known of God. God does know you. You haven't escaped his attention. It's one of the things that the Israelites were feeling because of the invasion by other nations, impending exile, and God had to speak to them and say, you know, who can you compare me to? You know, I've measured out the waters in the hollow of my hand, weighed the, the mountains in a scale. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. And he was going through all of this description of the enormity of God. And he says, why do you say, Israelites, my way is hidden from God as if God does not see you, does not know you, does not know exactly where you're at, does not know what you feel. He knows every dark moment in your life, every struggle, every pain. He knows your wishes, wants, and desires. He knows when you wake up. He knows when you go to sleep. He knows when you have bad dreams. He knows when you're anxious. He knows when you're up, when you're down. He knows when you're faithful or anxiety-filled. He knows. He knows you. Amen? And so... The incredible thing is that there's a powerful passage of Scripture. So I'm not going to dwell on that too long. I'm going to mention it again just now, but I need to chuck these Scriptures in. Are you all ready? So Romans 8, 29 and verse 30 says this, Those whom he foreknew. So in other words, he knew you beforehand. Is that okay? How far beforehand? Well, before anything existed, Anything created, the omniscience of God, it's Romans 8, 29 to 30. So it's in the King James uh, Bible. But so in, in other words, before anything existed, anything came into being, he foreknew. So he knew you before. Is that all right? So I'm laboring this a little bit because we need to get to a point. So he foreknew those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And there's a whole process here. Are you all watching this? I want you to follow me carefully because it's important. Otherwise, you're going to miss an important aspect of the message, and you might end up walking out of here feeling more condemned than when you came in, and even though I just prayed condemnation off you, I might put it back on you. You understand? So you've got to get this, all right? Those whom he foreknew, he also did predestine or predestinate. In other words, you are here today because he foreknew you, and then he predestined you. You understand? Okay. To be, and what did he predestinate you to be? To be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I just want to hazard a guess over here. I would say 100% of us are not yet fully conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay. I'm just hazarding a guess unless your wife tells me otherwise. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're in good company. In other words, this process is continuing. Yeah. Is okay? Yeah, but some wives are. Yes. Yeah. yeah, some wives are. I heard that. So to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren, so that Jesus might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters who are exactly like him. Yeah. So God in his foreknowledge... Okay, foreknew you, predestined you. Now we go on to verse 30. It's powerful. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Everybody say, I'm called of God. Okay? So he foreknew you, he predestined, predestined. You know what's so amazing is that what he did was he knew you before and he predestined you. 
And then he sent his son, Jesus. And of course, we know Jesus comes. He's perfection. He reflects God. He's the full image, the full measure, the full stature. He's a fully matured being, human being, and who's also divine. And then what he says, because I foreknew, predestined you to be conformed to this. So he really has the end picture in mind. Is that okay? So when he's looking at you, he's going like, I already see that, but there's a process taking you to that. Is that okay? So those whom he called, he also justified, and that was basically, he did that beforehand because of what Jesus did on the cross. But when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and said, forgive me our sins, he said, justified. Is that okay? Righteous, holy, sanctified. Is somebody following me here? Okay, I don't want to get too heavy, but I need to lay this down. And also, and those whom he justified, those also he glorified. In other words, because of Jesus, because of the work of the cross, when he looks at us, he sees it finished. I mean, that's amazing. Come on, everyone, somebody say, wow, or amazing, or that's awesome, you know? I mean, when you look in the mirror, you don't see that. Okay, okay. By faith we see it. Is that all right? Okay, so let's carry on. However, in those verses, we just hold them there a little bit more. However, those verses there are very much talking from God's side. But there is a response, a response. What do you say? A response that needs to come from us. Amen? There needs to be a cooperation with that process. So listen. Revelation 17, John is talking about the beast that is going to come and attack the lamb. The beast there is not some antichrist. If you followed all the way through, there were two beasts, and it tells us that in Revelation 13. Should I even mention it? Yes. Should I just move on? No, no, no. One beast came out of the sea. The sea represents nations. So the beast that came out of the sea was like one that had died but in resurrected. That was the Roman Empire. And then the horns of the different emperors and things like this. So the beast came out of the sea. But then another ferocious beast came out of the land. What do you say? The land. The land in particular is the Greek word ge, which, or the Hebrew word, which means basically the promised land. The land of Israel. So the beast that came out of the sea was the Roman Empire. The beast that came out of the land was Pharisaical religion, and those two got together. That was the prostitute on the dragon that committed harlotry with her. And they together were the ones that took their stand against the lamb. They had him crucified. Come on, church. It's not some monsters today. Is that okay? But it'll all be revealed when my book is finished. Okay. All right, never mind. And so in Romans chapter 17, listen, it says this, verse 14. They, that's the beasts, will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Listen to them. Listen to this. And with Him, and with Him, it's Revelation 17, 14. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. So with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Are you all listening? So in other words, they're called, they're chosen, but they are proving faithful with the calling and the choosing. Everybody with me? In other words, there's a response. Got it. Okay. So now let's proceed. So let's go from the broad down to the narrow. Number one, there's three levels of God knowing us. Three levels of the knowledge of God. Number one is just the general omniscience of God. In other words, the fact that God knows everything. God knows everybody. God knows seven billion people on the planet. God knows every one of them even before he created this globe. Knew their names, knew everything. We've got plenty of examples in scriptures. God knows those that have passed on and ascended into the cloud 
of witnesses. God knows. God knows. Every detail. I mean, doesn't Luke tell us that he even knows the number of hair that we have on our head? Is that okay? He knows everything. So there's the general omniscience of God, but I'm not going to dwell on that because I think we know God is very clever and he knows everybody. He knows you. He knows you. But is this what Paul is talking about? Is this what Edmund responding to Eustace was talking about when he goes like, it's not that I know Aslan, it's that Aslan knows me. And it talks of a great measure of response. What would be the point of getting to know God and spending all this time and effort and energy doing all the practical things I outlined? We get to a point where God goes, I don't know you. It's important that God knows us. Is that okay? And I don't want to just be known in the omniscience of God. I want to be known in a different way, you know, by God, you know, which you were speaking about to the Galatian Christians. So, not the omniscience. But then there's the foreknowledge of God, where basically he says, I know you, and I choose you. Now, can I just say this? Every single one of you in this room, he knew before, and he called you and chose you. Is that okay? But as we progress, I'm hoping to make it plain that the knowledge of God, his intimate knowledge of us, will be because of our response to all of those things. Okay. So just look at David in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, chapter 7, verse 20, when Daniel wants to build the temple, Nathan the prophet comes and more or less prophesies that, I see that it's in your heart to do, and all, a fantastic prophecy that he prophesies. And then David, in response to the prophetic word, he says this. This is David speaking to God, and he says, what more can David say to you? In other words, what more can I say to you, God? You know me, sovereign Lord. Isn't that awesome? And it was a response to God because the prophet revealed what was in his heart, his desire. Come on, church. Second thing, Psalm 139. This is David's reflections. Verses 15 to 16. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. In other words, in the mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And not only that, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. You know, you get to a place, and we were singing about it this morning, your goodness, Lord, is overtaking me, overtaking me. Your goodness and mercy overtaking me. You know, you get to a point in your life where you suddenly realize, yeah, God knows me. He's good to me. Jeremiah, when God called him as a prophet, very often with the prophets would say about them that the word of the Lord came. And so Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Come on. You're not an accident. Your birth was not accidental. Even if your mom and dad say, we didn't plan for you. You are not prepared. As far as God is concerned, you were not an accident of a moment of passion. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he says to Jeremiah the prophet, and he's a young man. I, I, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Already then, I'd appointed you as a prophet. Oh, that's, that's amazing information. That's brilliant. So, about Israel, you know, he says it's about Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Did he know about other families? Yes. But because Israel, more or less, started to respond and following, and he says, you're the only family I've known, I've chosen you, I've set you apart, I've selected you. I think this is brilliant, eh? Yeah. But then we need to talk about not only his omniscient knowledge, 
not only his foreknowledge of us, we need to speak about, so, so look, can I just say this? When I respond to that, God responds. Why is it in Revelation 17, he says, my called, chosen, and faithful ones? Is not everybody chosen? Yes. Is not everybody called? Yes. But how many respond? The ones that respond to his calling are the chosen ones. But everybody could be chosen if they respond. Everybody following me? And so, and then response to the choosing then. So he calls me, I respond. He says, you're chosen. And then I'm faithful to the choosing. And because he chooses me for a purpose, and then he looks and he says, you're a called, chosen, faithful one. Amen. Amen. And so the knowing of people just by his omniscient knowledge is very different from his knowing of those who respond to his choosing. So in other words, God took note of your response. God chose you. You did nothing to earn this grace, but he set his affections on you. God reached down and took hold of his enemies and made them his friends. So listen to what John Piper says. Deeper than knowing God is being known by God. What defines us as Christians is not most profoundly that we have come to know him, but that he took note of us, and he made us his own. So, I mean, it's incredible. So, he's choosing. But then there's another element. So, not only he's choosing, but basically when we're known because we're faithful, And we can be trusted. The Puritan theologian Richard Baxter says this. To be known by God signifies to be approved and loved by him. And consequently, that all our concerns are perfectly known to him and regarded by him. This is the full and final comfort of a believer. God knows us, then he responds to us, and he responds to our responses to him. John Calvin says this, another great theologian. This is really good. I thought this was really awesome. How many know 2 Corinthians 5, kind of from verse 17, where he says, we are new creatures in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, basically he says, um, from now on, Because of that, we regard no one from an earthly point of view any longer. Though once we regarded Christ like that from an earthly point of view. But we have to regard Christ differently. We need to regard him not as Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh. We need to regard Jesus as both Lord and Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. Exalted to the right hand of the Father. That's the difference to the man of sorrows that walked around in the gospel. And so Paul says you've got to, in the same way, we've got to look at each other differently. Because you're not, you know, I'm not John of Woodville, Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Yeah. True. We need to see each other. The old is gone, the new has come. We need to see each other with the image of Christ in each other. Okay, so listen to what Calvin says. God looks upon, in other words, when he looks at us, God looks upon himself so to speak, and beholds himself in man as a mirror. Come on, this is powerful. And then he goes on to say, like being known by God, this gracious beholding, however, is restricted to the elect, the chosen. When God beholds his image in us, he does that by not looking at our earthly nature, but by looking at that which he has put into us by his grace. If belonging to God is a good relational definition, being known by God may be defined theologically as his gracious regarding of us as we are in Christ. I mean, that's, I mean, that's hectic. So come on, when he looks at you, He doesn't see you in your natural self. He sees himself being reflected out of you. 
as if your life is a mirror of himself. I mean, this is awesome, eh? You. You know, because often we view it when we go to the Lord that he's looking at me, natural John. You know, he's looking at me, natural Rachel, natural Gerson. He's looking at me, you know, natural Maureen. He's looking at me and he's seeing my faults, my weaknesses, my insecurities. But the fact that God comes and says, I know you, he has to know us through the process of the cross. Is that okay? When he looks at us, I'm a mirror reflecting him back to him. Amen. But even that I still need to respond to. So there's three things. Number one, the incredible thing about the called, chosen, and faithful ones. So let me go. Let me just take you to a verse and then let me explain. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7. Are we all there? You all know this. You all know this. I've had people quote this to me. In the lockdown, I did the end of the world series and showed that it's not some rapture and mark of the beast and the antichrist. <laughs> this guy quoted this verse to me. But it says here, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. I'm highlighting that. Is that okay? Matthew 7. 21, 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Everyone say, does the will. Everyone does the will. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name we've cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then God says, Jesus says, God will say, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So the big thing here, the big thing here is, yes, in the general omniscience of God, of course he knows those people. Of course he knows what they did. But as far as their response, their faithfulness. So what in particular is he talking about? If you look at the context of Matthew 7, just before that, Jesus is actually referring to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people, and basically what he's saying to the disciples, he's teaching them, and he says, judge a tree by its fruit. Is that okay? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So by its fruit, a tree will be known. Then he goes on to this. And he's saying, it's okay that you operated in gifts. You got to know me to a measure that you knew that I'm a God of healing. You put faith in that and you healed somebody. You used my name, albeit maybe in vain, and you cast out demons. You figured out how prophecy works and you prophesied. But that is beside the point. There was no fruit. You're a worker of iniquity. I don't know you. So I've got to flip that around so that it doesn't become condemnatory. To grow in the knowledge of God or to the place where we can say, you know, God knows of me, it's to walk right with Him in our character our morals, our motives to walk right with God. Remember the story, Matthew chapter 25. Remember the story, the five wise, the five foolish virgins. You know, a lot of preachers take parables and they preach it to the church as if they apply it today. We can take principles out of it, but remember, the majority of parables, Jesus was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. It was to Israel, not to us. But yet we can take principles out of it. And so in Matthew 25, you know the story, so I'm not going to go into it. The five wise, the five foolish virgins, the five wise were already all prepared. They had the oil in, and when the bridegroom came, they were expecting him. They went in, then the door was shut. The five unwise who fell asleep didn't fill up the oil, and they came knocking on the door. The bridegroom answered from inside and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. God knew them in his omniscience. But as far as election, as far as calling, as far as responding to their faithfulness, he said, I don't know you. So Jeremiah says this in 
Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 3. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me. You test my heart towards you. David says in Psalm 1, verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He's implying, I don't know the way of the wicked. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Now he's speaking about this in the backdrop, the background, the backstory to this. is false teachers, false preachers, false whatever, false. Coming into the church, you know, trying to Judaize the Christians and make them Jewish again, which is happening today. You know, you must wear a tallit, you must wear a yummy cap, you must find your Jewish name, and uh, you must say Yeshua Mashiach, you can't say Jesus Christ, and all of that kind of thing. We are not Jews. Is that okay? You don't have to become Jewish. Hallelujah. All right. So, so he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. He says this is inscription. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Now, let me just explain that. What is Paul talking about to Timothy? He's basically saying this. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Is that right? Paul said, like a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. No other foundation can be laid other than Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Peter says, now you're all coming to him like living stones. So same material as the foundation, you're being built up in Christ, and we're becoming built into a temple in which the Lord dwells by the Spirit. So we are the temple of God. Is that okay? Same stuff of the foundation, same in the stones. But there's a foundation laid. And what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter who comes. It doesn't matter who goes. Even if some backslide, if some apostatize, if some come out with false doctrine, I want you to know the church of Jesus Christ will stand firm. That foundation shall never be moved. I will build my church. Is that okay? And he says it stands sure. But this foundation, on this foundation, there's an inscription on this foundation. And this is the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Woo! Isn't that good? And you know, you might backslide a little while. You might get lost a little while, you know. God still knows you. He knows those who he is. Is that right? And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There's the response. Are you all with me? So if you want to be known of God, depart from iniquity. This is a good message, eh? I'm enjoying preaching this, I must admit. Where did, Paul is inverted commas. Paul's, you know, the seal. It has the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. It's as, almost as if Paul is quoting a verse from somewhere in the Old Testament. But you can't really find a verse exact like that. You can't. But there's two verses that come very close. And that's probably what Paul was referring to. And the first was in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. And uh, you know, Nahum was written at a time when Nineveh was going to be taken. And basically, there were people, there were believers there, they were trusting in God. And Nahum says this, and he knoweth them that trust in him. He knoweth them that trust in him. How do you want to develop God's knowledge of you? Because the favor increases. How do you want? Trust in him. Everybody say trust in him. So I trust him. Okay. But there's another one. Number 16.5. Remember when Korah and his followers came to Moses and he said, Yeah, you fancy yourself as the chief main prophet. You know, we can also prophesy. Blah, 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 blah. That happens in a lot of charismatic churches. Just because somebody in the church, the pastor taught you how to prophesy. And you can prophesy, and he lets you prophesy, and he gives space for you to prophesy, and he creates an environment in which you can prophesy. Then suddenly, you know, you're now the great prophet and move over, pastor. I'm taking over. It happens a lot, unfortunately, a lot. And those people have got no cooking clue of what's going on. Because when you're in this church, I don't care how accurately you prophesy, you're operating under my anointing. And that's called an anointing. You can go out of this church, and it'll carry you three weeks and after that, you'll find you can't prophesy anymore. <laughs> Never mind. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. And so Korah came and he said, 
Oh, we can all prophet. We all prophets. You know, like this. And Moses falls on his face and goes, you don't understand. You don't understand authority in the kingdom of God. You don't understand. I'm not here because I'm the cleverest, most fancy. I'm here because I'm appointed by God. Is that okay? And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and they say, God, please, please don't do it. Because they knew what was coming. And the intercession prevented God from wiping out the whole nation, which he'd want to do on a few other occasions, you know. And then God said, okay, tell everybody who's not with them to separate themselves. And so the majority of Israel, they just, you know, get away from Korah and his followers and move away. And when they're at a safe distance, suddenly the earth opens up. The Bible tells us that they fell into hell. The earth swallowed them up and then it closed again. And that's why Jude warns against following Korah's way of rebellion. Is that okay? So listen to what God goes on to say in Numbers 16. Then said he to Korah and all his followers, 16 verse 5, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him, the man he chooses he will cause to come near him. In the omniscience of God, he knew Korah. He knew every one of the followers. But those who separated themselves, who understood authority, who lived holy lives, God says, those are the ones that can come near me. Those are the ones I know. It's getting very quiet in here. It's sounding a lot like condemnation. But I know you're listening. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the greatest affirmations by God came to a man of God who went through hell, living hell. He didn't know what it was all about. But one day, the devil came, and when the righteous, the household of God, were before God, being presented to God, this little creature, this little thing, came and presented himself with the assembled righteous holy ones. And God says to Satan, where have you come from? Oh, roaming around on the whole earth. So there's your scripture. Satan is not in heaven, doesn't have access to heaven, is not in the heavenlies. He operates on earth just as far as the breathable atmosphere goes. Okay? Roaming around, God says, God says. I mean, I just love this. In Job chapter 1, and I think it's in verse 8. And God says, Have you considered my servant, Job? I mean, look at this. A perfect man. Look at this. My servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and shuns, eschewth evil. Have you considered? I know this man. Come on, this is good. I know this man. I've got full confidence in him. He's perfect, he's upright, he fears me, and he shuns evil. This is what I know about my servant Job. Come on. Church, I trust that God can say the same about us. I know my servant Francois. I know that he's a just, upright man. I know that he fears and loves me. I know you can put any bait, any temptation in front of him, he will not take it. You know the story goes with Job. He goes, ah, skin for skin, yeah. He only serves you because he's so blessed and you've put a hedge of protection around him. And that's how the whole thing went on. And God said, take away his money, take away everything. You can't touch his life. But I mean, it came close. And he came through. And in the end, God blessed him with twice as much as what he had. That's God's way of going, hey, I knew you were going to do it, my boy. Come on, church. Come on. See, that's what I want from the Lord. Amen? You know, we were traveling back in in the vehicle with Ian and Shireen, and Bev said one thing about John. 
you know, because we were talking about 37 years in the ministry, same place. And Shireen was saying, but look at it, 22 churches, you know. And I said, there was never once where I wanted to quit, never once when I wanted to give up, never once, never once. Was it tough? Yes. Did we go through hell? We went right through it. We're the hottest. We went right through the muddle. <laughs> I mean, we were there. But when I got here, I said, God, I am committing myself to this place for life. I will not look for better opportunities. I'm not a spiritual corporate ladder climber. I won't go looking for better money. God, if you've called me here, it's only you going to get me out of here. Amen. And the devil tried twice to kill me. And Bev said, to, Bev said in, a, in a loving, joking way, she says, well, that's one thing about John. He's boneheaded. <laughs> in other words, if God told him, nobody is going to move him. Yeah. You see, for me, I want to be able to kind of like, you know, I'm never going to finish, but kind of like get one place one day and God will go, hey, bro, boy, look at it. You got to the well of joy. Look at the travail of your soul and be satisfied. Well done, my boy. Come on, I want to be known of God. Come on. Listen, listen. You know, when you start walking like that, and I've got a ways to go, that's where, like with the seven sons of Sceva, they go, hmm. What are you talking to us about in the name of Jesus telling us to go? Jesus we know. Yeah. Paul we know. Mm. But who are you? Yeah. I don't want that knowledge from that world. <laughs> I want the other knowledge from the other world. In other words, like in Luke chapter 10. I'm enjoying myself now, you can tell. <laughs> I, it, for me, like Luke chapter 10, when the disciples were sent out, sick were healed, demons were cast out, you know, they come back and Jesus said, man, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That heaven there is not heaven, heaven where Jesus is. That heaven there is, in other words, he was in a position of authority amongst men. Yeah. And he fell from that position because somebody now was operating in authority that were casting him out and yeah. down. Yeah. Is that all right? And he says, don't rejoice that spirits are subject to you in my name, but that your name, your name is written in the heavens. In other words, there's been transfer of authority and power. He's now under your feet and you're no longer under the devil. Is that okay? Kind of that's how I want to be known. When God gets up in the morning, he doesn't sleep. But let's just say, stretches and yawns and he's saying to the son, get up and do it again. Come on, another day. Come, son. And then he looks out and he looks into the heavens, this realm where we live, and he sees John, Charmaine, you know, and he's seeing Christine, and he's seeing uh, Norman, and he's seeing our names written, and he's seeing his sons have got authority in the heavens. When he looks at us, his image is being reflected. Come on, church. You see, it's important for us, and just a couple of things, all right? So we need to have right moral character and motive. So the second thing is we need to have obedience and instant obedience. Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd. John 10, 14 and 15, then verse 27, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And listen, it progresses. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. I mean, this is, in the context of the sermon, those words now are deep. <laughs> because he's saying, the Father knows me. He knows what kind of person I am. We have an, he has an intimate knowledge of me because I have responded to him. And I want you to have the same relationship with him that I have. Okay? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. Listen, listen. And they follow me. Come on, you can't be stubborn, half-hearted about your walk with God, spend the majority of time in the world, following the principle of the world, living like the world, where there's not much distinction between you and the world, come to church on Sunday, feel good, and expect God to know you the way that we would like Him to know us. Because He said, my sheep follow me. That's an ongoing thing. Everybody following me? That's an ongoing thing. Abraham, listen to what God said about Abraham. God said in Genesis 18 verse 19, this is God speaking about Abraham. For I, you know, it's not 
coincidence that Abraham was the friend of God. For I know him. What do I know about him? Listen, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he have spoken of him. Powerful verse. Hold it there, Mark. God had said to Abraham, I want to make you a blessing to the whole world, the families of the world. And I'm going to give you an heir, but your family is going to increase like the stars in the sky, like the dust of the earth. And he says, but one thing I know about Abraham, he's going to raise up godly children in his household, which means then I can fulfill my long-term promise to him. You see, obedience. Obedience. Then God doesn't say, oh, John, yeah, I know him in my omniscience. Yeah. Yeah, Born 13th of March. I won't tell you what year. But 13th of March. Yeah, no, I know John. Yeah, I remember one time he obeyed me and came to Benera Park, you know, no money, just by faith, yeah. No, no, I want to be known in the predestination of God. I want to be known by his choosing of me. But I want to be known by the fact that I have been faithful to him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And he says that about Abraham. Is that okay? So obedience. Everyone say obedience. Okay, I'm just going to leave those and move on. We can talk about Moses and everyone else. But those who seize opportunity without procrastinating. I've just put this in. This verse doesn't belong in this context, but it does explain it. So just allow me to read it very quickly. Luke 13 from verses 23 to 30. Just listen to it, and uh, we can follow on the board. Someone asked him, that's Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I believe many millions of people are saved, will be saved, you know, going to be saved. I believe Let's use old-fashioned terminology. Heaven will have exponentially more people in it than hell. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay? Otherwise, Satan's lie is more powerful than Jesus' truth. In other words, Satan's little bit of power will be more powerful than God's, you know, omnipotence. Okay, everybody follow me? So someone said, Lord, only a few people are going to be saved. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. This will say other things as well, but because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to do so. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. I don't know you. Where do you come from? Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. Remember again, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Because they did not want to accept him as Messiah. And then he says, but he will reply, I don't know you. Where you come away from me, you evildoers. I don't know you. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth where you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you yourselves thrown out. And these are the men that the Pharisees were appealing to, you know, as their forefathers, you know, their fathers in the faith. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. That's us, the Gentiles. Is that okay? Indeed, there are those who are lost, will be first, and the first will be last. Now, I'm going to just say it, and please, I don't want it to sound condemnatory. I really don't. So I'm going to try my utmost to say it in a way that's loving and, and kind. There are people who've been serving God for 50, 60 years, and they don't know him. And he doesn't really know them. And you get people, brand new Christians that come into the church, they so fall in love with Jesus, and they're on fire with Jesus, and it's like, and it's like, they know him. But oh boy, he knows them. And then you get those cranky ones that sit there and criticize. The over-enthusiasm and they're dancing in the fountain. I mean, I've heard it in churches. Not this church, fortunately. Because, you know, woe be tired if I hear you one of those. We will be having a coffee. Okay. And so, you know, and there they're all exuberant. I don't know if you've ever seen it about new young believers. And they get radically saved. They don't have all the crud. They don't have the cynicism. They don't have the criticism. You know, I've been serving God 50 years. 
Yeah, but when last did you meet with him? And these new Christians come in, and everything they ask for, they get. And even the things they don't ask for, they get. And then those cranky ones, 50 years, they had to wear off. It's a novelty now, you know. No, 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 no. I, listen, I want to be more enthusiastic, more in love, more whatever, the older I get. You know, I want to just keep pressing into God. Come on, I want to be known of Him. So, and you know, and this thing with the door shutting. You know, there are moments of opportunity. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that God can't give you a second chance. I'm not saying this, but please hear me. I believe in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chances. But the ones that are known of God, is that the moment he presents an opportunity, they walk through. The moment he opens the door, they go through. You know what I'm saying? Not being reckless and, ab- and abandoned, but you know, when God speaks to them, when God's leading them, where there's a spontaneous and instant obedience. Number three. Are you all listening? Number three. First Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... And everybody puts us, that's after we've died and we've gone to heaven. It's not. It's not. It's when Jesus appears, when we step into full maturity, full perfection, the full perfection of love. Maturity is Christian maturity. Godly man or woman is someone who is in the image of Christ. But what does that image of Christ look like? It looks like every description of Christ-like love in 1 Corinthians 13. That's what maturity is. You cannot mature if you're not loving. That's why he says, first, come on, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in other words, it's love. I don't want to get into it, but everybody, just say amen, I know you're with me. Okay. And so basically... What Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, the three greatest is faith, hope, and love. But of those three, love is the greatest. Is that okay? And when perfection comes, he's talking about full maturity. That's perfection. When we come into full maturity, he says, that's when we will know fully, just like we are fully known. So it's like God knows us fully the more we're growing in love. Okay, I'm hoping I'm making myself plain. But, uh, you know, so here's Galatians 4.9. Galatians 4.9 says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You really need to read that passage. In other words, those that know God won't revert to a set of rules. They will stay with relationship. And then he says, you know, you known God, or rather, you're known of God. Okay, so let's go to First Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and then I think I'm finished. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. So now Paul is talking about two groups of Christians. One goes, ah, we can't eat the meat, sacrifice to idols. There's demons behind them. That's one set of knowledge. The others go, hey man, no such thing, you know. And even if there are other gods, besides God, they all know gods, even though some worship them and call them gods, but really there's only one true God and Father, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And Fui, you know, he's so big. I mean, they can all day, stand all day and offer that meat to idols. When I take hold of that meat, it's sanctified. Because it's sanctified by the word and by prayer. And then I eat that like a steak, you know. I mean, I eat it. What are demons after all? Paul is saying that's a second lot of knowledge. He says, but there's a greater knowledge than that. And that is, if you know it offends the more sensitive brother, you won't eat meat in front of him because you love him. It's the way of love. Is that okay? So Paul says, so we all have knowledge. Stop bragging about your knowledge because at the end of the day, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So rather, you know, he says, oh, 
If any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Verse 3. And then that's when he goes on to say, but if any man love God, the same is known of God. Can everybody see? It's your response. It's how you respond to God. So this morning, I want to end the series with this and uh, to encourage us that the thing that stands up higher than us knowing God is that God knows us. Is that okay? You know that there's a very real sense in which we read those parables, you know, the parable of the talents and other parables basically where he gives to certain people, certain men, a certain amount, you know, five talents, two talents, one talent, and all this kind of thing. And in some of those parables and some of the gospels, take it away from the one that doesn't have and give it to the one that has. And again, it's because of the response. And the amazing thing is that in a couple of them, it ends like this. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's not an eternal application one day when we get rewards. It's got a fiercely practical application, and that is that as we respond to him through the knowledge that he's given us, the way he's revealed himself to us, because he has the initiative, but as I'm responding to it, the more I have, the more he gives me. Is that okay? The more trust. You know, when God's looking for someone to do a job, he'll choose someone he knows. Because to whom is given a trust must prove faithful. So God will look and go, I know Hammy. I can count on him. If I ask him to do this, it's such a critical thing. You know, it's a matter of life and death. I know that if I ask him, he will obey immediately and go and do it. And then, you know, artists, God goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Mm. That sense of joy, you know, when you've responded to God. And there's just that affirmation from him. And there's that internal response inside. Kind of like Jesus after he'd sent out the disciples. And they came back and said, Jesus, even demons are subject to us in your name. The Bible says Jesus agalioed and got full with the Holy Spirit, full with joy through the Holy Spirit, the joy inside of him, because this was part of his mission, to train up, raise up, and send out. Yes. And, and he just got a dose of holy joy. And it was the Spirit's response to the Father's, well done, my son. Well done, my son. So we want to end the series and say in all our knowing, and getting to know God, respond to Him. You know, let's live morally right lives, have right motives. Let's be obedient. Let's be obedient instantly. Let's not, um, uh, you know, because delayed obedience is at many times disobedience. You know, let's, when God starts to open things, when God starts to push us, when God starts to tell us to do something, get up and share a prophetic word, go to hug that person, you know, bless that person, do something, take that door of opportunity and go and do it. Be a faithful son and a faithful daughter and then mature in love. What is the point? John says it of saying, I love God, but you hate your brother. What is the point? You might as well not even say you love God because the degree to which you love God is exactly the same degree to which you love the person you hate the most. Let me repeat that, because that's what God said to me one day, because there was a certain pastor I didn't like, he was very obnoxious, arrogant, but I forgave him, love him, and God said to me, the degree to which you love me is the degree to which you love the person you hate the most. Be maturing in love. Growing up, growing up into the image of Christ. And that's where I'm going to just end it. So more than knowing God, are you known of God? Hallelujah. Father, I want to thank you. That in your omniscient knowledge, you know all of us. You know everyone in the whole world. But in your 
election knowledge. You know us. You called us. Before we were born, you knew exactly what ministry giftings we would have. You knew where we would be placed. You knew we would be part of ACF, Airport Christian Fellowship. How incredible that you brought all of our paths together. And here we are in the same ministry. It's amazing. You've got a specific plan for everyone. Each person has a purpose. Even though they're in full-time jobs, they're the preacher there. They're the kingdom representative there. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you. Everyone is uniquely gifted, uniquely made. There's a job and a ministry that only I can do, only that individual can do, that no one else can do. We're an incredible part of the body of Christ, ambassadors for the kingdom. But Lord, we don't want to just be known relationally by predestination. Lord, we want to be known because we've been called and chosen, but we've been responding and we're still responding. And Lord, we are your called, chosen, faithful. And Lord, in situations when the enemy comes, Lord, we want you to be able to say about us, consider my servant Marius. It's none like him. Consider him. You can't touch him because nothing that you throw against him will cause him to stumble. Like Abraham, Lord, that you will entrust a destiny. You will entrust a ministry with an outcome and say, I know him. I know that he will train and raise up and teach and uh, teach the next generation so that the kingdom can continue. Father, I want to thank you that you'll be able to say about us, I know they love me. And look at how they love one another. Look at how they even love the enemies. That's such a reflection of my image. I know them. Lord, that you can put the most hurting person, the most broken person in our paths and say, I know Yanni so well, she won't reject that person. I can bring that person to her. Father, we want to, in that sense, hear well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. We want to be anointed with the oil of joy that sets us above our companions. We want to be able to agalio in your presence, filled with the Holy Spirit in joy. Responding because of the accreditation, the affirmation of our Father, Lord, who knows us. And Father, this we will pursue in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I just speak blessing over your people. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, each one. Father, I want to ask that you just touch them. Father, just lead them on in their knowledge of you as they pursue you. Father, let them have those moments where they experience your affirmation, where they experience your divine approval, where they experience your hand of blessing on their lives. And it's not a works thing. It's still grace. But it's because they're responding to your incredible love. And then you respond to them and say, I know you. I know you. I already know how you're going to react. I already know how you're going to respond. I already know. I can give you more trust, more responsibility, greater ministry, because I know you. Amen. Father, I thank you for it. So I bless your people with that. Powerful week in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We all agreed, and we said something. What did we say? We said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get something from the Word? Yes. Okay. No condemnation. No nothing like that. Just know that as you respond to God, He responds to your response. He initiates it, but He needs a response. Is that okay? The gospel, you know, everybody is not saved, but yet God potentially has forgiven the whole world of their sins. It says that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, He died for all. Jesus died for all. But there needs to be a response, and that is believing in it, believing in Him. Amen? That's the response that's required. Then, only then, they say, because there's a, a huge section 
of the church that's preaching, everybody is saved. They're not saved. The price has been paid, but they're not saved. They're not born again. But the moment, you know, he came to his own, his own received him not. Listen to it. But to as many as received him who believed on his name, to them, not the ones that rejected him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Come on, I don't know about you, but I want to live in that oil of joy thing. You know, I want to live above favor, beyond favor. But the favor of God is a good place to start, amen? But I want to tell you, you know, if you've got two children and one of them is a little brat and naughty and disobedient, same home, same love, same parents, but it's just a rebellious little brat, you still absolutely love that child and will do anything for that child. But your action with them is different to the one who's, yes, that, yes, mom, and they behave. You're not treating them with favoritism. They've got the same upbringing, but they've got choices. So the one who chooses, who responds to the love of the parent gets more. The other one gets more of, do you understand what I'm saying? And so we need to be those, you know, who are good children <laughs> and respond to God. And then God can pour out all of that stuff. He's still gracious. He's still loving. He's still kind if I misbehave. But I don't experience that aspect of his love and favor. Come on. I want to be known of God and go like, hey, the son of mine, I can, I can trust him. I'll bless him. Let's stand together. I just want you to respond somehow to God. I don't know how you want to respond, but... I don't want you to respond somehow while Tammy's playing. Maybe just lift your hands. 30 seconds, talk to the Lord, respond in your heart. Maybe just say, Lord, I want to be known of you. Like, the way, kind of the way that Pastor John has been preaching it this morning. I want to be known of God. I certainly want my name known in hell. I certainly want that. I certainly want my name written into the heavenlies. Absolutely. But I want my name to be known by God that when he wants a job done he can say John will you do this for me and I will say yes Lord here am I your servant is listening Father I pray that for each one of us I know that's the response in every single heart Lord no Christian intentionally wants to be disobedient but Father we want to move beyond not responding correctly into correct responses I pray in the name of Jesus and Father I'm praying that for our dear and precious live stream audience. May they be known of God. Lord, that we will be able to say, like Edmund to Eustace, it's not that I know Aslan. What really matters is Aslan knows me. Yeah, what an epitaph, what a commendation. So Father, let the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ rest on each one.